You're listening to an audio sermon from Redemption Church in Red Deer, Alberta. We exist to see lost people saved, saved people matured, and mature people multiplied, all to the glory of God. For more information about our church, visit us online at redemptionreddeer.ca. Good morning. If, uh, if you have a Bible, if you'd like to open up to uh, John chapter 4, that's what will be primarily this morning, uh, John chapter 4. Get there with me. We continue to go through our, our series, uh, kind of the early fall, six distinctives, identity shaping. And why are we going through our six distinctives? It's again, just like, who, who are we? What are we about? Where are we going? And just, I hope that as we go through it, as it's been for me, it's formative for us as a church, kind of defining of who we are, what we're about, where we're going. And even as I'm working through the different sermons, it's like, it's like praying, Lord, do that in me. Lord, do that in us. And even kind of like this idea of like, this is where we want to go to. This is how we want to walk to get there. Uh, so I pray that it will continue to be an encouragement to you as it has been to me. This morning, we're going to be talking about passionate worship. Be looking at that. And even if you think passionate worship, what is that? Like, why call it that? Think of like a a testimony that everyone in Christ has that at one time was a rebel, a rebel to God, and then became a worshiper. At one one time, was, uh, was all about, you know, singing songs like, Great Am I. It's, it's actually the focus is on me, right? I am amazing. And then all of a sudden to say, no, no, great are you, O God. From rebel to a worshiper, to praise to ourself, to praise to him. Even as we're in John 4, I've been going through uh, John with my, my kids these days. And so you have like John 9, a guy who is born blind, then given sight. And you think, if we were to use the word passionate worship, how do you think that guy who was blind and now could see how is he reacting? You have in John chapter 11, you have Lazarus, Lazarus, who is dead in the grave, and Jesus calls him out, someone who is dead, given life. How do you think Lazarus reacted to be given new life? That's what it says. The Bible says in Christ, before Christ, we were dead in our sins. We were blind, blinded by the prince of the power of the air, and then given sight and given life. How should we be reacting to that? I believe passionate worship should be something that should mark us as believers. And again, I I hope you can continue to see the thread of talking about our six distinctives, how we want to be about fervent prayer, praying before the service, during the service, after, during the week. And as we're praying, uh, then I, I, I pray by God's good grace, we can be about bold preaching and proclaim the word. And you think if we're fervently praying and boldly preaching the word of God, it's going to lead to passionate worship. Like, I, I think it just, it has to. We have to land there. That's one of the reasons we always finish with a song. It's kind of like, well, how, what do you do? Well, you praise God. That's, that's just where you start and you continue uh, from there. So I, I pray that this, this message will help to define what passionate worship is and also kind of give us direction. May God give us grace to continue to walk towards that. I don't think any, we ever arrive. I don't think you're like, today. That's it. All right. No, no, because God is so big, so amazing. We've got to keep growing in our ability. We're kind of going to be jumping into the middle of, of the story 
John chapter 4, uh, Jesus talking with the woman at the well in Samaria. And they're having this back and forth conversation. First it starts talking about water, and then it moves to much more important things. If you want to open, again, I guess i got to open my Bible if you already have it. John chapter 4. We're looking at verses 19 to 24 specifically this morning. If you want to stand with me as we read God's word together. John 4, 19 to 24. The woman said to him, Sir, I perceive that you are a prophet. Our fathers worshipped on this mountain, but you say that in Jerusalem is the place where people ought to worship. Jesus said to her, Woman, believe me, the hour is coming when neither on this mountain nor in Jerusalem will you worship the Father. You worship what you do not know. We worship what we know, for salvation is from the Jews. But the hour is coming and is now here when the true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and truth. For the Father is seeking such people to worship him. God is spirit, and those who worship him must worship in spirit and truth. May God bless his word to our souls here this morning. You can have a seat. And before uh, continuing on, I just want to pray just that, that the Lord would bless his word to our souls. If you'll bow with me again. Oh Lord, what a joy it has been already to sing songs to your name. And God, what a, what a topic, what a thing to talk about, praise. And I just, I ask for your grace, I ask for your kindness uh, to be able to give us open ears to hear by your spirit that we would uh, hear your word, that you would apply it to our hearts, that you'd help us to grow in our ability to worship you, to praise you, uh, to be just more um, pulled towards you, Lord, in our hearts, in our minds, in our desires. God, only you can do this. And so I ask that you take uh, the word preached, apply it to us, form Christ in us. Lord, continue to just expose areas of our life, expose darkness that's there. May your light shine uh, more and more in our hearts and our lives. May it lead to greater uh, degrees of praise and passionate worship. I pray you'd use this word now for your glory. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. I just, again, I kind of talked a little bit about the background as we get into this text here. John uh, chapter 4, Jesus was, is on his way um, from Jerusalem. Hold on, let me just check. He was, oh, sorry, he left Judea, going back to Galilee. He was going north. He had to go through an area called Samaria. That were people who had intermarried with other foreigners, so they weren't purely Jewish people. They had their own kind of way to worship. We're going to talk about that. A Samaritan woman, Jesus was thirsty. He stops at a well. There's this back and forth conversation about water we're going to look at, but then it moves into worship. There's often in John, there's all these conversations that happen, and the people really don't realize what Jesus is saying, but he always takes it somewhere spiritual. And it's something we can learn from Jesus. But interesting here in the passage we're looking at, verses 19 to 24, John, I believe it's in his gospel, it could be in the rest of his writings, but for sure it's in his gospel, uses this word we're going to see for worship uh, 10 times. Out of the 13 times he uses that word for worship. His entire gospel, the 10 of them are here. So it's like concentrated focus on worship. 
And so I think it's a helpful passage to look at as we think about passionate worship. And I'm defining worship as, as truly knowing God and acting accordingly. Worship would be truly knowing God and acting accordingly in words, deeds, and attitudes. Because if you think about it, it's actually very broad. We're talking about worship. And the word worship used here ten times is, uh, is used to express an attitude or gesture of one's complete dependence or submission to God. And often this, this word worship is done with the physical aspect of falling down before the one they worship or bowing down, like putting the knee, like putting head down. Like that's actually the word uh, definition used here. But as we think about worship, it's, something, it's so big. It's something so broad, like if we know, and I'll say it over and over again, and you'll know it too, uh, the, the first question to the shorter catechism, what is the chief end of man? Man being humankind, man and woman. Why do we exist? To glorify God and enjoy Him forever. That's why we exist. We exist to worship God. And you think, though, broadly, to worship God is in like everything we do. 1 Corinthians 10, 31, whether you eat or drink, whatever you do, do all to the glory of God. So there's that broad definition of worship in every single thing. You work, you're with your kids, you're by yourself, we're at, we're, it's worship. But narrowly for this message, what we're talking about, we're talking more narrowly in terms of on a Sunday morning or the gathering together of the saints. And primarily we're talking about singing songs to the Lord. That's kind of the focus, because it could just keep getting wider and wider and wider, and it could be, uh, that's actually what the Bible is about, is about worship. And it's about that we have been uh, separated by God from sin, but we are made to worship him, and, and then God has a plan. He won't leave us that way, right? He brings Jesus Christ to die for our sins, so we reconciled, made right with God, so we could worship, so we could live as we ought to uh, for the Lord. We were made to worship God. We are, we are worshiping beings, right? And if, and if we're not worshiping God, we'll worship something else. We'll worship ourselves. Our society's like, yes, it is about you. And our hearts, as being broken, we're like, it is. So we can worship ourselves. We can worship our stuff. Just piling up more and more things, thinking there's, ah, this is where value is. And you can grab hold of our hearts. We can worship success, whether it's, it's at work, whether it's outside of it, in a hobby. And of course, we can worship stars as in idols, as in sports figures or whatever. Like, you know, think about that. That was the question. Hey, growing up, who is your idol? It's not even hidden language that we use. So we can worship anything else. There's a, actually, there's a battle always going for our worship. It's so significant. Like when we looked at First Kings, if you're with us in the summer, and this standoff between Elijah and the prophets of Baal, and he says, hey, choose this day whom you will worship. Is it going to be the Lord, or is it going to be Baal? Is it going to be the Lord, or is it going to be this world? That's like, it's such a big topic that we're looking at, but I pray kind of narrowly as we're looking at it, it'll help to find passionate worship, help us spur us on individually and as a church together to passionate worship in our church and in our lives. So if you look with me again at John 4, looking at verses 19 to 22, I want us to first see, we're thinking about what is a passionate worshiper. I'm going to use the word true worshiper. That's what the text uses. Uh, place, 
place doesn't define true worshipers. Look at 19 and 20 for me, this conversation that we're jumping into. The woman said to him, Sir, I perceive that you are a prophet. Our fathers worshipped on this mountain, but you say that in Jerusalem is the place where people ought to worship. She was a Samaritan. They were in Samaria, and she was pointing to a mountain that was nearby. It would have been Mount Gerizim. And for the Samaritans, they had this uh, legend or belief. They know that Jacob actually went and did worship there in Genesis. That's recorded for us. But the Samaritans, they only had the first five books of the Old Testament Bible. They didn't read the rest, so the Pentateuch. And so they're like, okay, hey, this is where you're supposed to worship. This is Samaritans, but Jews, you say it should be in Jerusalem. Like, which is it? Where is it supposed to be? This conversation goes quickly to worship. And look at verse uh, 21. Jesus responds to her, Woman, believe me, the hour is coming when neither on this mountain, Mount Gerizim, nor in Jerusalem, will you worship the Father. The, the hour is coming. The place will not matter. And think about at that time, in Jesus' time, where did the Jews worship? They worshiped in Jerusalem at the temple, the place where God dwelt. Like in, in an actual place. So you're going to go worship. You had to go to the temple. You had to go to Jerusalem to worship God. But what was coming, what Jesus knew, uh, what we read in our Bibles, that on the day of Pentecost, Acts chapter 2, the Holy Spirit came upon believers. And there and after, it wasn't going to a specific locality, but all, all believers were filled with the Holy Spirit, had God in them. And also, but then as we gather in his name in a unique way to worship him, God is with us as well. And so he says, hey, the, the time is coming. In verse 23, hey, the time is here. Interesting. One commentator, Colin Cruz, says this, the time could be said loosely to have now come because Jesus had already set in motion things that would bring in new worship in spirit and in truth. As in, he knew why he came. He came to die on the cross be buried, rise again, and he knew that the Spirit was going to descend on all. But I want you to see here, specifically, place doesn't define true worshipers. Just think about this. Other believers throughout history have met in all types of places. They have met in fields. They have met in caves. Uh, I, I, we spent some time down in Haiti, and we met in a, in a church building, which was simply just like some sticks and a tin roof and like open walls and chickens sometimes running through, and you could worship the Lord there. For uh, many of us who we came together uh, in, in the dome and we worshiped on a sports uh, turf, on a soccer field. The place wasn't defining what we were doing. We came, we came together and we worshiped God and we glorified Him. So I think we've, we've already maybe learned that already. The place isn't going to define worship. And now we're here uh, at this time. We don't know where the Lord will lead us next, but we're, as we're here, we get together here to worship. And to praise God. And that's what we're going to do. But place doesn't define true worship. Just before moving on, I just want you to notice too, then in verse 22, Jesus, in talking with the woman, he said, You worship what you do not know. We worship what we know. For salvation is from the, Jew, the Jews. As in the Samaritans, they only hey, recognize the first five books of the Bible. They kind of worshiped an unknown God as best as they could. Jesus is mentioning that. But Jesus said, the Jews worship what we, what we know. They're following the Old Testament book. Salvation is from the Jews because Jesus was the Messiah. And uh, he even admits that to her at, in, in verse 25 and 26. That's what he was saying there. But again, place doesn't define 
true worshipers. It's, it's the people gathered together wherever we meet. If, we, if you lose the ability to meet in this building, you go gather somewhere else, that's where worship's going to happen. It's not stuck in one building or another. I also want you to continue to see, look at verse 23 with me, the first part. I want you to think through the characteristics of true worship. In verse 23, it says, But the hour is coming and is now here, we talked about that, when the true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and truth. The hour is coming is now here when the true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and truth. And again, I'm, I'm, I'm using true worshipers because that's what's used in the text. I think it could be a synonym for passionate worship. When we're describe, describing true worshipers, we're describing what is passionate worship. What do we mean by that? Worship the Father in spirit and in truth. How do we understand the use of spirit here? Uh, for a long time, I was always convinced it referred to the Holy Spirit. But in studying and, and wrestling through it, I actually believe it, it's not. It's, it's actually the spirit. The spirit within us, like who we are, the core of our being. As in we are to love God with all our heart, soul, mind, and strength. Mark 12.30. We worship to God in spirit. But of course, I just want to mention this. Though we are this call to worship God with everything we have in us, you need the Holy Spirit to worship God properly, right? John 3 comes before John 4. It was an amazing statement I just made, but... uh, Maybe it's profound. No, it's not at all. So at John 3, Jesus, in a conversation with Nicodemus, says, you must be born again. You must be born from above or born by the Spirit of God. You have to be in order to worship God properly. Philippians 3.3, Paul says this, we worship by the Spirit of God and glory in Christ Jesus. Put no confidence in the flesh, in the body. Romans 8.15, you have received the spirit of adoption as sons, by whom we cry, Abba, Father. Abba was the Aramaic word for father. You cannot cry father like God. You cannot cry from the inside of your heart, God, my father, unless you have the spirit of God within you. So you need the spirit of God to worship, but here in spirit and in truth, it's specifically talking about all of your being, all that you have. That's who we're called to worship God with. And you think if it's with all of your spirit, there will be joy, there will be emotion. Right? If it's with all of your spirit, in spirit and in truth. Again, think, think of this word passionate worship. You're like, ah, I don't know if I like that name. But for sure, right? You wouldn't want, we wouldn't want to call it like lukewarm worship. Right? Or mediocre worship. And passion, I don't even know if passionate does it justice to what we're called to in terms to worship the Lord. This, this, this term, passionate worship, if we're doing it with our spirit, everything in us, we can't make this happen. As in outside of us, it, it won't be like, okay, we're, we brought smoke machines, or we're going to change the ambience of the room to, to try to spur it on. You can't outwardly create that happen to happen. God must do it in our hearts. He must do it in our lives. But I do think, though, even as we're as we're seeking to grow in passionate worship, we can be encouraged by those on our left and our right, or even as those leading us in song up at the front. I don't know, when I, I, when I see different people just like, just loving the Lord, not, don't even know they're here, they're just worshiping God, I'm like, yes, and I want to worship God too, ever increasingly. So we can kind of spur one another on in that. But when we think about passionate worship, 
often it's culturally, what did you grow up with? What are you used to? And if you grew up in a church where everyone just sat like this or stood like this as you pray, like that, that's it. And, and so we kind of, we, we follow what we've learned culturally and that's okay. And also a lot of times it's our personality too. It, some people are maybe a little bit more outgoing in that sense and other people more reserved and so maybe in their worship they'll be they'll be more reserved but I, I want you just to think about this is what excites you what what like puts a big smile on your face what kind of puts a little a little uh, a hop in your step worship. worship there you go but outside of that thinking of it what what else is it because sometimes uh especially guys we're like hey yeah i just i just don't worship that way but then if, you're, if your favorite sports team, who you've cheered for for years, say, this is just hypothetical, I don't think it will happen. <laughs> the, the Toronto, if the Toronto Maple Leafs ever, ever made it to the Stanley Cup, anyone who's been cheering for them for a long time, like you are not going to sit on your, you're not going to sit on your hands. Like you're jumping from the top of, of the rooftops, like wow, cheering. But that was hypothetical. But what actually happened once, uh, when I, like, because we get excited about the things that we love. We do. When I was a young man, I, I, I grew up watching baseball. I had to. My dad's a huge baseball fan, so I watched the Blue Jays in 1992 win the World Series for the first time. And me and a couple of friends, we were watching, and we were, we were high-fiving, and we were so excited, we made a sign that said the Blue Jays won the World Series and went to 32nd Street. Honk! The Blue Jays won! That's what, and it's just a stupid baseball team. It doesn't matter whatever. But the things that excite us, we show emotion for. And so just, just think about that. If you get more emotional, more excited for other things, why not more for the Lord? But of, of course, it is, it's not a show. It really actually doesn't matter about the outward part of the body. It matters about the heart primarily. It must be an overflow of what's actually happening in your heart because some people could move around, they could jump around, inwardly they're thinking about something else. Jesus says in Matthew 15, 8, 9, these people, speaking of the Pharisees, but I think it applies if you're just like moving around, you're doing lots, but you're not even thinking about God, these people honor me with their lips, but their heart is far from me. In vain do they worship me, teaching his doctrines, the commandments of men. I think there's, just, there's a warning there for us. Even as we, as we gather together, begin on a Sunday morning, we really should watch ourselves that we don't start singing, singing the words, speaking the words, before our heart is engaged. You know what I mean? And I've done it. I've been guilty. And I'm like, Lord, forgive me. We're okay, I'll just come in. And I'm thinking about this. I'm thinking about that. And I've just been singing for a minute. I'm like, hey, Lord, forgive me. I need my heart to be engaged as I'm singing the words uh, to you. And I, I do believe as we're talking about worshiping in spirit with all that we have, that worship on Sunday should be an overflow of the worship that we're putting before God throughout the week. And I don't mean just in song. I mean that 1 Corinthians 10, 31. Like whatever you do, whether you eat or drink, do all to the glory of God. And if you're not doing that throughout the week, why all of a sudden in this, this one moment, why should you worship God and praise him in song? So God, help us throughout the rest of the week that we're actually just praising God, we're worshiping Him, and then we just we come together to do what we've done apart throughout the week. 
And I'll just say this before going on. It, it's not always the case uh, for all of us. Sometimes you have a really tough week or a really tough morning, and you come and you're, just, you're not ready. And that's okay. And that's when you should just, like, just take in the words and take in the people who are singing next to you worshiping and let the Lord minister to you through that. So it's in spirit, but it's also in truth. In spirit and truth, true worshipers are called to worship God in truth, as in it's God's truth, right? It's not, it's not live your own truth. It's God's truth. We worship God as defined by the Bible. We don't get to make up who God is, but we get to know more who he is as we read the Bible, as we pray. Psalm 145, 18 says, The Lord is near to all who call on him, to all who call on him in truth. The truth of who God is, we've talked about this, we'll continue to look at that scripture, 2 Timothy 3.16. All scripture is breathed out by God. And if God wrote this book, if he inspired men to write it by his spirit, if we want to know who God is, we have to be in this book. We can't be closing it, looking to other things. You're out in the, the beauty of creation that can inspire praise, but it better be because you know who the God of the Bible is. We need to worship the Lord by the truth revealed in Scripture. The truth of how we are to worship is found within the Scripture. If you want to put your finger there in John chapter 4, we're turning back, go to Psalm 150, middle of the Bible. Psalm 150, the last psalm. I just want to just take a few things out of this, this psalm and think about it. There's instruction, I think, encouragement for how we worship the Lord when we're gathering together. Psalm 150, again, many of the psalms are about praise to God, adoration, singing songs. How does yours start? Mine starts, praise the Lord. It's just, it's Hebrew, hallelujah. Does anyone else have an exclamation mark? So do you think, is it like, praise the Lord? No, no, I, lo I love how bold the great is the Lord, most worthy of praise. Praise the Lord. I think that's that exclamation mark being there. Praise God where? In his sanctuary. Praise him in his mighty heavens, wherever you are. Praise him for his mighty deeds. Praise him according to his excellent greatness. You need to know who God is in order for that to mean anything. But look at this. Look at this list of instruments they have. Praise him with trumpet sound. Praise him with lute and heart. Praise him with tambourine and dance. That must be a misprint. I'm not sure. Pra praise him with strings and pipe. Praise him with sounding cymbals. Praise him with loud clashing cymbals. And I don't think this is an exhaustive list of all the musical instruments they had available, but it's like, what do you have? What can you use to make a beautiful sound to the Lord? Praise him. And I love verse 6, this encouragement to us all. Let everything that has breath praise the Lord. Another reason, praise the Lord. Psalm 150 is a good psalm to memorize, to go back to, to read over and over again. If you want to like, be encouraged to passionately worship God, Psalm 150. So we are to worship with different musical instruments. Of course, make a, a good, a beautiful sound to the Lord. We are to do it in song, Ephesians 5. I'll just read this quick. We'll be back in John here in a moment. Ephesians 5, uh, 
19, which really is an overflow of be filled with the Spirit, verse 19, Ephesians 5, 19, addressing one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing and making melody to the Lord with your heart. We are to sing songs to the Lord as we're gathered together. This is it. Just think about this. As you sing songs to the Lord, as you praise Him, I, I, I was thinking about this. I, that's our highest use of language that we have. I don't know, someone could maybe prove me wrong. I was thinking about that. Like, the ability to communicate, the ability to use words, to convey our ideas and thoughts, our praise to God is the highest use of that. What we are made to do. We must. We must praise the Lord in truth. And, and we think about truth. It must be that how we pick our music. I'm so thankful for Josh the leadership he's brought, uh, the team, and, and everyone helping out. But at our church, like, we want to sing songs, is it true? And even the, the course, what's the thing that's going to be in our head over and over again? It's teaching us things. What's the truth there? Is it, is it from a good source? Is, is in at our church, we, we do not uh, sing songs from Bethel or Hillsong or Elevation Worship. Because of the false teachings that flow out of those churches. And so we try to be sensitive to the songs that we pick. And of course it can get more and more uh, confusing in the day and age in which we live. But we want to continue to be sensitive to that. In spirit and in truth. They must be true. And is it coming from a place that teaches the truth? God help us. And as we sing songs, we want to sing Songs that have been tried, tested, and true uh, from the past. We also want to sing new songs that people have written by the help of the Holy Spirit. It says in Psalm 33, 3, sing to him a new song. It says throughout the Psalms, sing a new song to the Lord. In Revelation 5, 9, they sang a new song to the Lamb who was slain. It's okay to sing new songs. Not every contemporary worship song is bad. Some are good. Not all. There are many that are terrible. Not every hymn is necessarily uh, good to sing together as a congregation. So we want to sing old and new. Even it says on our website, we want to emphasize fresh and contemporary expressions while retaining traditional elements that recognize the richness of our heritage in the faith. But just think about this as in if it's no truth and all spirit, it's a rock concert. Right? And if, and if it's all truth and no spirit, it's like dead orthodoxy. As in it's totally true. It's like the Pharisees. They knew the scriptures so well they couldn't see the Messiah. So it must be those two things wed together in spirit and in truth as we worship. Those are the characteristics of true worshipers continuing on. Again, may, may we give our best to God. God help us grow in that. Verse, the, the next part of verse 23 there in John, John chapter 5, 4. Just seeing if you're listening. John 4, verse 23. So continuing. When true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and in truth, for the Father is seeking such people to worship Him. I want you to see this. God the Father seeks true worshipers. We're to worship in spirit and in truth, and then God the Father is seeking 
true worshipers. God is seeking. If any of you, I don't know if any of you know, uh, the seeker-sensitive movement past number 20 years or so, and what they did, this movement is like, hey, we want to not use words that offend. We want to use maybe phrases that people get. We want to take out any type of Christian language so we can bring in people who are seeking God, not push them away. But I, I read here that, no, actually it's God the Father who is seeking people. We, we don't have to be seeking people on his behalf. God the Father already is seeking people to worship him. He's seeking true worshipers. I want you to see this even in John 6, verse 44. It says this. Jesus says this, No one can come to me unless the Father who sent me draws him. And I will raise him up on the last day. No one can come to me unless the Father who sent me draws him. And I will raise him up on the last day. The Father is seeking people, calling people to himself. I want you to see, what does that look like? I would say God leads and guides us in ways that we would be drawn to him, to a knowledge of him. Just a quick work through, through a few parts of the book of Acts. I want you to see this. What does that look like? Acts chapter 2, verse 39. Peter on Pentecost preached this message, shares the gospel, causes, calls people to repent. And he says this in verse 39, the promise is for you and for your children and for all who are far off, everyone whom the Lord our God calls to himself. The Father is seeking true worshipers. In Acts chapter 16, verse 14, Paul is sharing this message with this with this woman named Lydia. And it says of Lydia in Acts 16, verse 14, the second part, as she's hearing Paul share, the Lord opened her heart to pay attention to what was said by Paul. The Father is seeking true worshipers. I just want to see you, Acts, I want to show you Acts 17, 26 and 27. Paul in Athens at Mars Hill proclaims this about God. He said, He made from one man every nation of mankind to live on all the face of the earth, having determined allotted periods and the boundaries of their dwelling place. Like God determined where you would live at this point in time. And why? Look at 27. That they should seek God and perhaps feel their way toward him and find him. God has determined where we live and that we'd be all together at this place. God puts us in places and circumstances with certain people that will cause us to call out to him to give us a knowledge of him and change us into true worshipers. And you, you ought to be asking, well, how? How is it? We saw a little bit that in the book of Acts. The Father seeks worshipers through the invitation of the Son. The Father seeks worshipers through the invitation of the Son. Going back there to John 4, Jesus has this conversation with this woman at the well. And he's sitting down there. He actually is thirsty. He's actually weary. He asks her, okay, can you give me some water? And just that question turns into this invitation from Jesus. I want you to see that. Looking John 6, verse 10. Jesus says, if you knew the gift of God, here, I'll let you get back to John 6, verse 10. You're right. I'm dyslexic a little bit. With, uh, <laughs> John 4, verse, uh, that's not dyslexia. Okay, John 4, verse 10. Jesus answered her, if you knew the gift of God and who it is that is saying to you, give me a drink, you would have asked him and he would have given you living water. 
I love this. The woman said to him, she doesn't really understand what he just said to her. Sir, you have nothing to draw water with and the well is deep. Where do you get this living water? Are you greater than our father Jacob? He gave us the well and drank from it himself as did his sons and his livestock. Jesus said to her, everyone who drinks of this water will never be thirsty again. The water that I will give him will become in him a spring of water welling up to eternal life. Isn't that, isn't that amazing, this offer of water? Jesus is like, I'm not talking about the water in the well. He's talking about a spiritual thirst for God. Matthew 5, 6, Jesus said, Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they will be satisfied. Jesus is actually calling the woman to himself to be a true worshiper by living water. Jesus invites her to life. And in in fact, if we kept reading, he actually calls her where she's at. He says, yeah, bring bring your husband. Get this living water. She's like, actually, the guy I'm with is not my husband. Jesus says, yes, that's true. And the five men previous is, is actually not your husband. Still, this invitation to come knows everything about her. This invitation to come as you are to the living water. Not like come as you think God would have you. Come as you are. Later on, this invitation again happens in John 7, verse 37. On the last day of the feast, the great day, Jesus stood up and cried out, If anyone thirsts, let him come to me and drink. Whoever believes in me, as the scripture has said, out of his heart will flow rivers of living water. This invitation, we could pull it out throughout scripture. I'll just say one more time. In Revelation 22, 17, the closing of Revelation, who John wrote as well, This is written, the inspired word of God. Let the one who is thirsty come. Let the one who desires take the water of life without price. Question, are you thirsty? Do you hear the call of the invitation to believe in Jesus? Are you thirsting after God? Jesus says, come to me and be satisfied. Do you know that this world will will not satisfy you? Pleasure, materialism. The latest thing. Have you, have, you ever, have you drank from the world's fountain? And you know it's like it's wet to the tongue, but it's like salt water. It leaves you so thirsty for more. It's so deceitful. As we're like, man, I'm, I have this longing. I have this desire. We were made to worship. And if we don't worship the Lord, we try to find that, that, uh, that thirst to be satisfied through other things. And Jesus says, no, come to me for living water. The call from God is, come all who thirst if you're thirsting for God, if you have a longing for Him that only He can fulfill, believe in Jesus Christ. Give your life to Him. Be satisfied in the Lord. Become a true worshiper of God. You cannot be a true worshiper of God without accepting that invitation from Jesus to the waters of living life. But as you do that, as you accept it, that's what allows true worship to happen. I just want to point this out, not belabor it, but Passionate worship should lead to courageous evangelism. Right? The more we are captivated by God, specifically Jesus Christ and what he's done for us, the more we need to tell people. Right? You just think, uh, as, a, as a young person, not even, not even the biggest 
fan, but so excited that the Jays won, we made a sign and had to tell everyone. And that doesn't matter at all. Think about what Jesus has done for me and for you. And the more that we would think upon that, the more it would cause us to worship, and then we want to, in turn, tell other people. So the Father is looking for true worshipers. He does it through the invitation of the Son. Going on to 24a, true worshipers know God ever increasing. True worshipers know God ever increasing. Think about this. God is spirit. You've read that before. Have you heard that before? God is spirit. Have you ever thought about it before? God is spirit. He's not like us. We are physical beings. God is other. He is spirit. We were made in the image and likeness of God in terms of his spirit, in terms of creativity, in terms of being able to love, create many things. But God is spirit. He's not limited to space. Jeremiah 23, 23 to 24 says this, Am I a God at hand, declares the Lord, and not a God far away? Can a man hide himself in secret places so I cannot see him, declares the Lord? God is spirit. He is everywhere. It says in 1 Timothy 1.16, God is invisible because God is spirit. We cannot see him. That's why uh, the second commandment is to not make an idol or likeness in the image of God because you're just making it up. You're just using a created thing to do that. God is spirit. How are you going to make any type of image to represent who God is? An old saint, Matthew Henry, helped me to think through this. God is spirit. He says this, God is a spirit. He is an infinite and eternal mind, an intelligent being, incorporeal, immaterial, invisible, and incorruptible. It's easier to say what God is not than what he is. A spirit has not flesh and bones, but who knows the way of a spirit? If God were not a spirit, he would could not be perfect, nor infinite, nor, nor eternal, nor independent, nor the father of spirits. The spirituality of the divine nature is a very good reason for the spirituality of divine worship. Friends, if I was, if I was like preparing for this message, I got to God as spirit, and I stopped and started thinking about that, and I started studying about it, and I was, I was looking into it, and I just got stopped. I couldn't keep, I'm like, what does that mean that God is spirit? And I was meditating upon it and thinking about it, and it actually led me to worship God more. True worshipers are going to know God, but ever increasing, because you're never going to exhaust God. That's, That's the beautiful thing. We can say, yes, I know God by the Holy Spirit, through faith in Jesus Christ. I know God. I can walk with Him. But man, I know just a little, and I want to keep knowing, I want to keep growing. And friends, as you get to know God, God keeps increasing. And as you get to know God, we keep decreasing. And the gap between us keeps getting bigger and bigger and bigger, and the only way to fill it is a greater understanding, a greater reverence for Jesus Christ. But man, we must know God ever increasing, and may it lead us to greater degrees of passionate worship. Just think about that this afternoon. God is spirit. Like, sit on it. Don't move past. Yes, yeah, a short verse. God is spirit. Continue on, verse 24, the last part. God defines the parameters of true worship. God is spirit, and those who worship him must worship in spirit and truth. 
Those who worship him must worship in spirit and truth. It says must worship. Not maybe worship, not probably worship. Think about not just when you, when you feel good, worship. As I like uh, Dave Meisner has said before, emotions are good followers. They're not good leaders. So there are going to be some times where like, I just don't feel like I should. Read the Bible. Read Psalm 150. Praise the Lord. If you have breath, praise the Lord. We come on God's terms, not our own. We must worship Him. We don't come negotiating. It's not like Kijiji or some garage sale where like, well, what if I do this? How about I show up this way? He says, no, you must worship me. You must worship me in spirit and truth. We must worship in spirit again with all our being, with all we have. In the highs of life, it's easier. In the lows of life, it's harder. We must do it there too. We must worship in truth by God's revealed truth, who God is and what he's doing. Again, true worship is not defined by place. We do it in spirit and truth. We must know God ever increasing and God defines as it happens. But I said it's not defined by place. But just think about this as we finish. The primary place where our affections must be put in worship must be Jesus Christ. The Son. Right? We were created to glorify God, to worship Him, to live for Him. But because of sin, we don't. We live for ourselves. We live for pleasure. We live for so many other things. And it's like the more that you have stumbled and, and been far away from God and you're like, how could he possibly forgive me? And then you are because the blood of Jesus Christ is covered over your sins and you're made in a right relationship with God the Father. What is your reaction? To lift high the name of Jesus Christ. And it's not enough. If we had a thousand tongues to sing, it would not be enough. Oh, may... May Jesus Christ be exalted in our gathering, ever increasing. May we grow in passionate worship. May you, close, may you bow with me as I close this word in prayer. Oh God, do that in us. Lord, not a, not a work of man, not anything that we try to to drum up, I pray, Holy Spirit, cause us to worship you, God, in greater degrees. I pray you would use our tongues, use our lives, use uh, the moments you give us on this earth to glorify Jesus Christ. Oh Lord, seal that in us and help us uh, to grow in the ability to worship you passionately. Oh Lord, again, I pray anything. That's just from me. It's not from you. May it fall to the side. May your word just abide in our heart. May it grow. May it take root. And may you form Christ in us through it. To your glory, I pray in Jesus' name. Amen.